The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of an incarnate God of love. Amen. We have a Lenten tradition here at Trinity where we gather for the five Wednesday evenings between Ash Wednesday and Holy Week for soup and study. <clears throat> we enjoy bowls of homemade soup and bread, and then we enter into conversation centered around a particular chosen topic or book. This year, however, we will do things a little bit differently due to the lack of a functional kitchen we will be foregoing the soup and bread. You will have to eat before you come, and for that we are sorry. But the change has afforded us an opportunity to add something new. We will gather at 6.30 on those Wednesday evenings in the chapel, and we will have a simple, quiet Eucharist before going downstairs for conversation and tea. The Eucharist will be brief. We won't be singing hymns. And Tony and I have not volunteered to add to our preaching load, so there will be silence after the gospel. I tell you all of this in hopes that you will join us on Wednesday nights starting February 25th. I also tell you this because I have to confess that I was tempted to practice our Lenten Wednesday Eucharist today by inviting you into five minutes of silence right now, rather than talk about the story we just heard. Because really, who wants to talk about exorcism? I mean, just look at the cover of your bulletin. This is unlike any other Episcopalian icon that we generally have on the cover of our service. Yikes. <laughs> our lectionary leads us from Jesus' birth at Christmas to his baptism, to his gathering of disciples, and now to his first recorded public act. If we were reading the Gospel of Matthew, we could talk about the Sermon on the Mount, a lovely first public act to focus on. Luke claims that Jesus' first public act was preaching in his hometown. And while the people of Nazareth did run him out of town and try to throw him off a cliff, at least this affords us an opportunity to talk about the challenges one could face returning to one's hometown. <clears throat> the Gospel of John gives us the first, the best first 
public act recorded that we have, <clears throat> the changing of water into wine. This story is so good that it still gets a lot of press at Christian weddings. <clears throat> but Mark throws us for a loop. He reports Jesus' first act as preaching with crowd-drawing authority and then exercising an unclean spirit out of a man. And the people were amazed. This is perhaps the one common theme between all four Gospels. The people were amazed. So when there are so many other ways to show us that Jesus was amazing, why does Mark start with exorcism? Is it because this is how it really happened? Or is there some other angle? In my reading and pondering this week, two theories arose. One was about Jesus' identity. His first act tells us a lot about who he is, and Mark was trying to introduce him to us. The other theory has something to do with acknowledging the reality of good and evil. But first, let's talk about Jesus' identity, as reported in the Gospel of Mark. Mark, I think, wanted to make sure that we knew that Jesus came with a new kind of authority, the kind of authority that made people stop and think when he preached, the kind of authority that made him different from anyone else who had ever come before, the kind of authority immediately recognizable by an evil spirit as a serious threat to the status quo. Jesus displayed an authority unwilling to compromise with evil, and thus evil was banished, and the people were amazed. So what was the evil that he banished from that man in the synagogue that day? I don't know. I don't know what is and isn't true in the sometimes scary and confusing world of the spiritual realm where good and evil perhaps reside alongside one another. I do know that evil exists in our world. If it did not, Jesus never would have had to come to earth in the first place, and he never would have been tortured and hung on a tree to die. And we would never have had bloody crusades or wars or genocides or government-sanctioned torture or guns or corporate fraud or extreme wealth division or suicide bombers or any other evil that we have indeed had and continue to have in our human story. But it is so easy to see these massive systematic evils as things outside of ourselves that we have no power or authority to do anything about. The thing is, Jesus came here to show us how to be. And if he showed us how to have authority over evil, then perhaps we are called to try that authority on every now and then. When we go to Boston on Mother's Day, to march against gun violence alongside the mothers whose children have been taken from them by a culture of oppression and fear and bloodshed. We are standing up against evil. When we choose to consume products that have been made by companies who focus on justice rather than on the bottom line, 
We are standing up against evil. When we recognize our own destructive tendencies, be they related to personal wounds or addiction or lack of awareness, we get the information and the help that we need to move past those things. And we are standing up against the evil that is made manifest in each of our lives. Whether I'm complaining about a neighbor or losing my patience with my children or being willfully ignorant about the conditions in prisons and inner city schools and third world hospitals and refugee camps, I am allowing evil to creep into the world through me. Which is why I need church. I need the tools that I find here to keep me aware of the potential power of evil. There are three significant tools that we get to use every Sunday, and I'm sure there's more, but these three come to mind. First, we say a communal confession, and we ask for forgiveness for anything we have done that has been destructive or hurtful, whether or not we intended to do it. Then, we say the Lord's Prayer, and in the Lord's Prayer, we pray the words, Deliver us from evil. God, please get any evil that is in me out and keep me from being harmed by it or from partaking in it again. Then we receive the Eucharist. We take Jesus into our very bodies so that we can more fully embody his empowering love, his healing kingdom, and even his confident authority. An authority that is stronger than any other force on earth. Because it is an authority of love. And as Christians, it is our inheritance. We just have to ask ourselves if we're feeling courageous enough to wield it. I can more easily find that courage in a faith community where shame and guilt are not part of the equation. In our baptismal covenant, we vow to respect the dignity of every human being. There is no room for shame in that vow. I believe that the use of shame by religious institutions over the years has been itself a form of evil, one that both disrespects the dignity of human beings by shaming them, and one that forces us to pretend that evil does not exist in our lives, because if we admit that it does, we have to live into the belief that shame tells us that we are inherently bad when evil happens in our lives. And yet we know that we are good, that we are each doing the best that we can, that God made us to embody love and that each of us does so. And still, destructive things happen in and through us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, in which a fictional devil writes letters to his nephew. He tells his nephew that the best way to get into people's lives is to make them believe that evil does not exist. If we are to stand up against evil and exercise authority over it and banish it from every corner of our lives and of the world, then we first need to open our eyes and see it. And once we see it, we name it. We pray about it. And if we have ended up taking part in it, we ask forgiveness. We learn how to keep it from happening again. 
And in all of that, we are exercising Christ-like authority over evil. I want to end with a snippet from a West African folktale about a blind man and the hunter who married the blind man's sister. The blind man could hear very, very well, and he was considered to be the wisest person in the village. The hunter, however, never took the blind man seriously. One day, the hunter was in a very good mood and allowed his blind brother-in-law to come hunting with him. After reaching the middle of the forest, each man set a trap. The next day, they returned to check their traps. The hunter saw that a small gray bird had been trapped in his trap, and a big, beautiful, colorful bird had been caught in the blind man's trap. He retrieved both, and assuming the blind man wouldn't know the difference, he switched the birds and kept the beautiful one for himself. On the walk home, he challenged the blind man, saying, Blind man, if you are so smart and know so much, even though you cannot see, then tell me, why is there so much violence and warfare and hatred in the world? The blind man replied, Because the world is full of people like you who take what is not theirs. The hunter stopped in his tracks, put the colorful bird into the blind man's hands, and said, I am sorry, brother. They continued to walk, and after a while the hunter asked, Blind man, if you are so smart, tell me, why is there so much beauty, generosity, and love in the world? The blind man answered, Because the world is full of people like you who learn from their mistakes. We are human. We will inevitably take what is not ours in various ways that society allows and even encourages. But we are also made for love made to have authority over the evil in our lives and in the world. And so, by the grace of God, goodness will prevail, and the people will be amazed. Amen.